Hello, and welcome to this JP Morgan at Any Rate podcast. I'm Saad Siddiqui, and I'm an emerging market strategist here at JP Morgan. Today, we're delighted to focus on Turkey, or Turkey as it's now officially known, which is shaping up to be a potential turnaround story in emerging markets this year after a policy pivot taking hold in the middle of 2023 begins to bear some fruit. Last week, JP Morgan was honored and privileged to host the Central Bank of the Republic of Turkey's inaugural Investor Day in New York City. This was very well attended by investors across asset classes and underscores the interest that market participants have in this market, which until not too long ago was an investment grade credit and a poster child EM reform story. So today we're going to discuss whether Turkey can regain its status as an EM mainstay. I'm joined by my illustrious colleagues, including Fatih Akçelik, Turkey economist, Aneshka Kristovova, and Mike Harrison from Local Market Strategy, Ben Ramsey to talk about sovereign credit, and YM Hong and Zafar Nazim to talk about opportunities in the corporate credit space. We also recently authored a report on Turkey, which goes through our views in more details. So Fatih, let's start with you because the Turkey story is really about a policy pivot and macro management. Uh, since the middle of last year, we have seen that policy shift taking place um, with rate hikes and some simplification of monetary policy. And we're seeing some macro adjustment taking place as well. So how far have we come along in that adjustment? What are the contours of it? Is it enough? Uh, and is the central bank going to hit its ambitious targets for inflation and de-dollarization in the coming months? Thank you, Saad. Uh, as you said, the central bank of Turkey hiked its policy rate to 42.5% as of December, which is up from 8.5% uh, in May. And we had seen significant increase in both Turkish lira deposit rates and loan rates. And uh, on the back of these credit tightening, uh, Turkish lira credit growth slowed down significantly, and hence macro growth uh, showed the signs of rebalancing as of third quarter. We think that inflation momentum also decreased significantly as of uh, December, and we are seeing also signs of adjustment in current account output. So it is working, and CBRT just communicated that it will continue to uh, deliver rate hikes if it is needed. So we think that uh, inflation is set to rise until May on the back of higher than expected minimum wage hike of 49%, and unfavorable base effects driven by natural gas prices. But uh, in this environment, I think Turkish authorities are aware of the, these inflation risks and they are really vigilant to uh, respond any inflation uh, risks. So overall, uh, our inflation forecast is in line with upper band of CBRT's inflation uh, forecast uncertainty which is at 42%, and uh, we think that it is achievable, and we, are, we, we also expect uh, fiscal support uh, in the upcoming months uh, to deliver this inflation uh, projection in the second half of this year. 
Thank you, Fatih. So this brings me to FX and to you, Anushka. Typically, we think of FX as being a, a bellwether and a barometer for sentiment, and it's the asset that people tend to expect to reflect these types of macro adjustments. So along the lines of, of Fatih's analysis and his prognosis for the adjustment taking, taking place, how do you look, see the prospects for the lira? In the last few months, it seems to have been depreciating, becoming a bit of a one-way bet. So what's going to be required to get greater appreciation here? First, uh, let me put in uh, perspective what we've really experienced, let's say, over the past three months. Uh, as you mentioned, dollar-turkey as a spot exchange rate has been, let's call it a one-way bet. Uh, over the past three months, we have seen about 8% depreciation versus the dollar, which in annualized term is about 40%. So really in spot terms, it has been a depreciation trend. Now, for an economy with high interest rates and high inflation, actually you probably have to look at uh, real effective exchange rates and total returns as indicators. And there, there had this, it has been actually completely flat. Over the past three months, we are 0.5% up in real effective exchange rate terms and about the same up in total return terms. So nothing has really trended. It's been stable. It's been flat. Um, and that's compared to recent history is actually already some achievement, but it is a little bit uh, disappointing com compared to the level of macroeconomic adjustment we actually think has happened. So let me break it down a little more what the macroeconomic adjustments means for the exchange rate. Um, we've already seen a substantial shift in FX votes. We think that local rates are right now already in ex-ante positive real territory, and that generally leads to FX inflows, and that is indeed what we have seen in Turkey. We have seen dollarization start to decline uh, pretty much all the maturing uh, KKM FX protected uh, scheme has gone into lira deposits, not dollar deposits. We have seen non-monetary gold imports decline significantly. We have seen the current account correct to about, in December, if we were to equalize it, it's maybe one, one and a half percent of GDP seasonally adjusted uh, levels, which is easy to fund at the current uh, implied yields. Where we have also seen a very substantial shift is uh, access to dollar funding. Uh, the the ease with which several um, sub, uh, several uh, companies or banks have been able to access uh, dollar funding. We see it in the statistics as well. Uh, in terms of let's say banking uh, sector balance sheet as a whole, we've seen an uh, increase in um, in repo funding and securities. So I would say that the macroeconomic adjustment has worked to generate FX inflows. But on the other side, so far, the entire inflow appears to be um, accumulating as FX reserves. And that's something very important. It is something that improves the risk metrics of the country, the uh, external risk metrics. And it has been a substantial improvement there. Uh, we are monitoring, for instance, gross FX uh, reserves that have increased over 40 billion uh, in recent months. Um, so it has, to some extent, been very positive, but we have not seen the impact so far on the exchange rate. Because if you are accumulating FX reserves at this pace, uh, 
the, the, the gains would not go to the exchange rate. And that's something that we need to really think about going forward. Uh, it will be the base of FX result accumulation that can determine the outcomes for the exchange rate. Uh, it is something that the authorities have to decide the trade-offs there. It is a difficult trade-off. But our expectation is that considering the pace at which FX results have risen recently, that it's more likely the pace will slow and we will see some uh, real gains for the currency. Okay, thank you. So moving on to local bonds, and this is a question for you, Mike. That's the part of the asset class that's extremely underinvested. Um, it's where we've seen foreign participation go from being well above 20% to close to zero, really, in, in the last few years. Uh, it's picked up a little bit, I guess, in, in the last couple of months. But do you think, uh, Mike, that valuations now are compelling enough uh, in light of these policy adjustments and what Aneshka and Fatih have discussed on the currency and, and macro side to tempt foreign investors back in to local markets or do we need to have rate cuts um, for them to get more interested in duration here well thanks sir i think you know if you take a step back there's been quite a sharp adjustment higher in bond yields since we've been undergoing this policy adjustment depending on where you look on the curve bond yields are 20 to 30 percentage points off their lows and they're currently around all-time highs if you take a you know, long-term look at turkey bees so I think the real question for investors are, are the bond yields high enough? Now, if we look across our local bond valuation models, what they're telling us is that bond yields are, even at these high levels, already reflecting improved macro expectations over the next year. So at this current point, to argue that bond yields are fundamentally cheap, what you really need is high confidence in medium-term bullish macro forecasts. That means, for example, confidence that inflation can be 25% or lower in two years' time. Right? And this is at a time when we're heading into peak inflation, where we're, our forecast is going to be nudging over 70%. You know, certainly, there's been policy improvement. Certainly, there's been bond yield adjustment. But I think at this stage, to say that the bond yield valuations are compelling, you need to have that conviction on the medium-term forecast, which is a bit tricky at this stage. That's made us a bit more cautious on the local bonds compared to, say, the FX. But I think the other way to think about valuation is in the total return aspect. Because buying bonds FX hedged is quite costly. An investor ultimately needs to make the decision. You know, am I going to buy FX and earn the total returns? Or am I going to go buy bonds FX unhedged? Now, I think what's going to really spur investors into bonds, as well as a repricing higher in yield would be greater confidence over the FX spot outlook. But like we've just been discussing at the moment, you know, our outlook is for spot depreciation, which means buying the bonds as a, as a total return package that will track on total returns. So I think to get investors in, would rate cuts be one of the catalysts? I think like everything in life, that kind of depends. If the rate cuts are seen as premature and as undoing undermining the previous policy tightening. I don't think that's going to be taken particularly well by markets, but if rate cuts are coming at a time when fundamentals are sufficiently improving and confidence over inflation falling is also growing, then I think you know, that's a scenario where bond yields can, can perform better and where investors can get more interested and ultimately the curve would start to, to pull steep. And so I think 
you know, at current yields, we probably need higher yields to make the valuation case of local bonds more compelling compared to where else you can invest in local markets. And you probably need a, a better outlook for the FX spot. But, you know, those scenarios can, can certainly arise later in the year. Okay, thank you. So let's now switch gears from local markets to the dollar-denominated debt space. Uh, and we'll start with you, Ben. We've certainly seen a lot better performance for the sovereign dollar-denominated debt than we've seen for the local markets. I think that um, is for some of the reasons that both Aneshka uh, and Mike have, have outlined. But where to from here for Turkey's sovereign dollar bonds after after the rally that we've seen? Should we expect to see continued decent returns there? Or do you think that's running out of steam and already pricing in the adjustment? Thanks, Saad. I think we're partially we're partially pricing in the adjustment. But if the adjustment is successful, there's probably more room to run is the is is the the, the short answer there. Uh, certainly Turkey sovereign debt had a very strong year last year. Um, returned and over 15 uh, over 16 percent compared to over 15 percent for mb high yield but that was almost double the the, the return for a, a single b or double b credit turkey has is still rated single b i think we're starting to finally get some positive rating um, momentum at least an arrest of the downward trend and, and i think we can see some reflection in terms of an upward trend in rating as the agencies are recognizing the important uh, macro adjustments which have have come. Um, but bonds are, are outpacing that as they tend to do. So bonds are now starting to trade closer to a typical double B credit and away from a single B credit. Um, the, as we as we wrote our note last week, Turkey was trading some 80 basis points inside the MB Global Diversified. Uh, that compares to a peak of 150 basis points wide during the most volatile period around May of last year, but something around 25 basis points wide in the first half of the year. So it's a substantial recovery. Um, but we still have something like 80, 85 basis points for Turkey to go if it was going to trade like a typical double B credit. So I think that that's where we could sort of set our horizons. Uh, and that is certainly, um, you know, some meaningful tightening that could be there. Uh, but I think we have, you know, two hurdles. And first and foremost is um, the supply outlook. So uh, Turkey and its financing plan is looking to issue on a gross basis $10 billion of euro bonds. Um, there's 8.2 billion of amortization. So there's some chunky amortizations to get through this year. Uh, 10 billion would not would actually be the lowest level of, of net issuance since 2009. So I would say if the story continues to look like it's going in the right direction and given the way cash flows are getting thrown back to investors, uh, we could probably potentially see some upside to that issuance forecast. Um, in the last week, and as we write, we've actually seen a little bit of underperformance of Turkey vis-a-vis -vis the MB. Uh, I would say once we get through that issuance, and particularly if that issuance uh, turns out to be more front-loaded, like uh, to, to say that Turkey would issue most of its forecast uh, plan sooner in the year rather than later, and it looks like we're sort of through that hurdle, um, that might be the time to take another look here at trying to, to, to get a sense of whether the fundamental um, discussion and certainly the disinflation path and 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 I'd say the the persistence of the political support to to the the, the adjustment plan is is becoming consolidated uh, that might be the time to, to to think more opportunistically if there's another time to look here at, at Turkey spreads um, 
but I'd say the other angle in terms of issuance, it's not just the primary market, but it's it's if the, the macro adjustments continue, if as we've been discussing, the local market does become more investable, we have to recognize that positioning among Turk Turkish locals in Eurobonds uh, is near the highs of, of, of recent history, meaning that the position of non-residents is actually near the lows. We've started to see some inflection there and some recovery of non-resident holdings. Uh, but if we exclude the, the foreign branches of local banks, we're still only around 37% of the stock of Turkish Eurobonds held by foreigners. Now, if the local market does become more investable and more attractive for locals as well as for foreigners, we maybe some, see some repositioning of those uh, local bank portfolios uh, away from Eurobonds towards local, local government bonds. That could create some additional supply in the second market, secondary market, at least from the, the, the perception of, of foreign holders. So I think this supply angle is, is, is important to get through and to, to, to have a better definition on. But I don't think that we can necessarily say that if things continue to go right in terms of this macro and, and uh, reform adjustment that we're, that we're necessarily out of steam, that Turkey really could and if we think of uh, the overall level of debt, which is quite low, if we think of some of the important um, sort of credit, more credit focused fundamentals, uh, in, in including um, yeah, again, low, low levels of debt, but also if we just think about the resilience of a very diversified manufacturing economy in that double D space in, in emerging markets, you know, Turkey could, could quite well um, get back to, to trading like a typical double D. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, and I, I think it'll be pertinent here to mention the recent uh, uh, upgrade by by Moody's to the outlook uh, for for Turkey's credit rating to to a positive outlook. But as is often the case, the market has been uh, a bit ahead of uh, the ratings agencies in, in pricing in a bit of an you know an improving uh, profile there. So sticking with dollar. Uh, the dollar debt space, uh, YM, how would you assess at the index level Turkish corporate valuations uh, compared to other names in the SEMBI universe? Do you think they suffer the same type of supply and kind of valuation constraints, um, at least in the near term, that uh, Ben uh, was mentioning regarding the sovereign? Thanks, Saad. Uh, on the face of it, Sembi Turkey has also been a very strong performer. So last year, uh, it was among the top performers with strong returns as well as spread compression. If you look at it right now, then um, Sembi Turkey is at around mid 300 base points in terms of spread. The average rating is still single B. Um, so uh, the current spread level is actually quite close to the double B average, uh, similar to what uh, Ben was mentioning on the sovereign side. So in the face of it, yes, spreads uh, are already reflecting uh, a fairly compressed type of levels. Um, however, the standalone fundamentals uh, are still very, very strong. So corporates have generally been uh, constrained by the uh, sovereign rating. So if you just look at it from a, a fundamental perspective and a standalone, then uh, these many of these credits would actually be closer towards investment grade. So in that sense, it's pretty much been a sovereign constrained story. Um, related to that though, one thing we uh, pointed out is the spread of a sovereign has actually increased a fair bit. Uh, so at one point, a couple of uh, years ago, the spread of a sovereign on average was actually tighter negative basis. Uh, however, now it's closer towards normalized levels of uh, around 100 base points or so. Uh, so that 
does imply that uh, the valuations versus sovereign actually look relatively okay. And uh, the compression has generally been led by uh, the tighter sovereign spreads. Uh, in terms of supply, um, if you look at the Turkey corporates and banks supply over the past years, uh, it did recover some up to 7 billion last year, but this is also in the context that there's almost no supply in 2022. So there's some catch up to do. Also, if you look at the positioning um, by uh, from our EM client survey, then uh, EM investor positioning is very, very light in Turkey. Um, it has turned a little bit less underweight over the past uh, month, but it's still uh, quite a bit underweight. So we do think that uh, even with the current bout of supply coming in, there should be room for investors to uh, absorb and that demand should be fairly sufficient. Um, we will need to see how the supply develops uh, over the course of the year, but at least the initial bout of supply we're seeing currently should still be fairly well absorbed. Thank you, YM. And then finally, turning to you, Zafar, Turkish corporates, both financials and non-financials, have been incredibly resilient in recent years, uh, even when we had quite a lot of macro volatility. How do you see their prospects now, fundamentally, as we see uh, a policy pivot? How do you think about picking um, kind of the different sectors that could benefit from this? And um, a question I have is, well, what happens uh, if the policy adjustment remains incomplete? How would you think about the corporate space in that scenario? Thanks, Ad. Uh, so historically, the resilience of Turkish corporates was primarily on account of their hard currency linked uh, business models. So the Turkish eurobond space uh, was largely represented by companies that generated the vast majority of the revenue from either exports or international operations or from sale of USD-linked commodities. In other words, the exposure to Lira was very limited. And that explained the resilience through bouts of Lira weakness over the last many, many years. Now, with the policy pivot, the and, and relative stability of Lira, uh, as well as accumulation of FX reserves, What's going to be different is that local currency do dominated businesses can now have their day in the sun. These would include sectors like uh, telcos, real estate, consumer products. These are sectors where the markets are domestic and the products are priced in Turkish lira. In fact, if you know, if you, if you think about the present scenario where inflation, let's say, averages around 50% for the year and the lira depreciates only 20, 25%, the local businesses may actually fare better than those that are exclusively or almost exclusively focused on hard currency. This is because the local businesses can pass through the inflation impact, whereas the exporters may not be able to do so. And the tri depreciation will not be sufficient to compensate. And therefore, there will be a compression in margin for such hard currency businesses. So it's a bit of a reversal over here. The other uh, benefit of the policy period right now is that you know, historically, international investors prefer to stick to the strongest of the Turkish corporates, you know, the top tier, tier one name, uh, because of the macro weakness and, and somewhat unpredictability. Now, with what's happening, uh, we think that investors can now consider riskier credits or businesses from Turkey as well. Now, with respect to your other question about uh, if the adjustment is uh, incomplete, I think the primary risk is will be felt in refinancing. 
So as as Vaim also mentioned that, you know, Turkish corporates for the last couple of years was shut out from the market. Uh, only in 3Q or 4Q of last year did we see them come back to the market. And, you know, historically, this was because of the higher risk perceived with, with the macro situation, also the higher rates uh, that we experienced last year. But basically what all of this meant was that the cost of borrowing from international sources, A, the market was not there really because of the risk associated with Turkey, and B, the cost was pretty high. And that has changed now because several corporates have accessed the market already since uh, 4Q of last year, and there's more on the way. Uh, and that's because rates have rallied and Turkish sovereign spares have tightened materially. There's a window of opportunity for Turkish issuers, and therefore bond issuance for this year for Turkish corporates could be a record. However, if the policy adjustment is incomplete, that could lead to a reversal of the tightening we've seen in the spread. And therefore, it could make it less feasible for the same issuers to come to the market, could become expensive. Local businesses, ones with local currency exposure in particular, would be more exposed to such a phenomenon. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Zafar. And thanks to Fatih, Aneshka, Mike, Ben, and YM for your thoughts as well. Uh, if I were to just draw a common thread uh, between uh, all the observations and comments made today, uh, it's it's clear that um, while we're seeing a policy adjustment, this is, at least for now, not a big Turkey beta trade where you want to be long all assets. Uh, it clearly pays to be selective. Uh, some of those more domestically linked corporates, as Zafar liked, they uh, stand out and FX as well. Uh, but local bonds and sovereign credit, uh, we probably make sense to be a bit more on the sidelines until either valuations improve or the policy adjustment uh, further um, evolves and uh, gains further traction. Once again, we did publish a recent report titled Turkey, High Hopes Continuing Caution, which goes through these views in uh, more detail. This is certainly one of the more exciting stories in emerging markets right now, and I'm sure we're going to uh, be having a lot more things to say as the year uh, goes on. So a big thanks uh, again to all the speakers and thanks to everyone listening in. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read the JP Morgan Research Reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2024, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on January 16th, 2024.